Welcome back to the Social Work Social. My name is Melanie Matthews, and I'm a registered social worker. Last season, we explored the world of mental health treatment by sharing information and stories told by social workers. This season, we're going to go even deeper by exploring how different helping professionals work with social workers to support mental health and well-being, and also to pursue social justice. Before we get started, I have two disclaimers to make. The first is that you should be aware that all the information presented in this podcast is specific to Ontario, Canada. Different professionals follow different rules and restrictions dictated by their regulatory body in their area. The second disclaimer is that nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice or treatment. You're unique. That means that what we talk about today might not be quite right for you. So if you're interested in any topics presented here, be sure to get in contact with a professional directly. That said, let's get into today's episode. In this episode, we talk to Salvatore, who's a Child and Youth Care Practitioner, or CYC. Salvatore is going to tell us about the work he does as a CYC and how he works with social workers. There's no trigger warning for this episode. I'm Salvatore D'Agostino. I am a Child and Youth Care Practitioner or Child and Youth Care Worker or Counselor or whatever name (laughs) I have been given (laughs) as the field continues to evolve. I have a bachelor's degree in Child and Youth Care and a master's in Public Policy Administration and Law. Uh, which has been an interesting mesh of two very different sectors. And yeah, I currently work at an agency called YouthLink in their shelter, um, one of their case managers, and I do a whole bunch of other volunteer work um, in either consulting agencies to grow or be part of their board or fundraising. I am a I'm quite a busy man, but uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast. I know that you do so many things. It's really great that you were able to take the time to come and talk to us today. So tell me about your education, because I love that the title of that degree keeps changing. Um, because I did my diploma in child and youth as a child and youth worker, like, mm-hmm a long time ago. Um, And then that education has really evolved. So tell me about child and youth care. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think the name keeps on changing um, to get us to a place where we can become accredited. So like I have my degree in child and youth care. So I'm a child and youth care practitioner, but I couldn't, I guess I can't call myself a child and youth care counselor because I haven't gone through uh there's some sort of like test that we have to do um with the association so I can't call myself that but I know that we were called child and youth care workers <laughs> and then they changed that as uh, they started to do degrees and for accreditation purposes I actually was part of Humber's first uh bachelor's in child and youth care. So I'm part of the first graduating class, which is quite awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. I did, I don't think that even existed when I did my diploma. And what year did I graduate? 2013, I think. It's hard to remember. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think it existed either. I think Humber has been one of the first ones. I know Ryerson has one, but I'm not too sure if no, I think their bachelor's was around the same time that Humber did. I'm not too sure with Ryerson's, but uh, 
I know Ryerson just has a master's too now. Either way, a very evolving degree. Oh yeah. Can you tell me what kind of stuff did you learn about in that degree? Yeah, um, I mean, what was great about my education at Humber was it was university degree in a college atmosphere. So I've been able to kind of get that practical and theoretical learning. So with my degree, you know, I took classes like psychology, child and youth development. We had a few counseling courses, family practice. So it was a good mesh between the actual what I do in person, as well as what are all the theories on how to work with young people. I think that's really important. I think a lot of university programs miss that practical aspect. You end up with all of this knowledge, but no actual ability to apply it. Um, You kind of have to learn on the job, get out there and really try things before you know whether or not you're actually any good at it. That's what I really loved about college was being able to actually apply it. It was very practical. And I think that's really undervalued. Yeah, very much so. I think a lot of, if I could tell anyone to go my route, I would tell them to go my route is get that college uh, atmosphere with the university degree, because I've been really able to explore a lot of things um, because it was kind of a mesh of two worlds. And like you said, like if I would have done it at university, I probably would just been a lot of paper writing and doing a thesis and theoretical and would have entered the field probably a a bit blindly. And now tell me about your master's degree too, because that would have been very theoretical. Oh, geez, it was. It was an interesting, um, an interesting transition. You know, I went from what are the best practices to working with children and youth to learning about the constitution and policy development and program evaluation and really not bringing young people into that conversation, right? Um, So it was quite the the learning curve for me. Um, I remember my first class being on the constitution and thinking, what am I doing here? But, you know, I've learned, it was just me and actually I went to school with another uh, social worker. So we really brought in that social aspect into the classroom, right? Because there was a lot of conversations of, oh, well, we don't have the money to do this. And, you know, talking about really high level stuff and me and my classmate would be like, well, that's actually not going to work on the ground. And we don't care about the money you figure out the money, this is how it's going to be looking like on the ground. So it was really able to kind of explore and bring those two worlds together. And also, you know, you know, I have a love for program evaluation and logic models and all of that. So it, you know, I was able to learn more about that, that I can bring into my practice now and all of my volunteer work. I think that's really important too. Because a lot of our policymakers have no frontline experience or they don't even talk to people like social workers or people who are in child and youth care. So they have no idea what they're even making these policies about. It's really interesting to have people that have that mix of experience in those types of classroom settings and then into the field as well. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, there's some people I went to school with that work for the Ministry of I think they change it, children's services. I think it's under health now, but whatever it is, they're working for that ministry and they have no frontline experience. 
And the only thing, the only stuff they know of young people is through the experience that I've been telling them about, you know, in the classroom. And it was, you know, I'm kind of fearful of those types of people working for the ministry because there's so many important decisions being made that impact our lives as workers, but more importantly, impact the lives of young people. And sometimes as workers, we're bound by policies and procedures. And as much as we have to kind of read between the lines to better work with young people, you know, sometimes we our hands are tied. It's true. There's a lot of policies that I've been bound to that I've been like, oh man, like I could do my work so much better if I didn't have to worry about this particular policy or this thing that's holding me back or, you know, just ridiculous standards sometimes. So that being said, all of that education, the policy experience, your background, how did that lead into the work that you're doing now? You know, it kind of just happened, to be honest. I was always interested in high-level stuff, but, you know, I do a lot of volunteer for that stuff, right? My frontline experience, it it just kind of fell in my lap in a sense. You know, I'm someone that kind of goes with the flow and just lets life happen, right? Um, When I was in school, you know, I always wanted to work with children and never wanted to work with youth never wanted to work at a group home or a shelter. And lo and behold, you know, my first job was for youth initiative and I'm working with youth in a drop-in center. And then I'm working at an all girls, you know, group home and I'm working at a youth shelter now. And, you know, I never thought I would be in those spaces at all, but I can honestly say those have been the favorite spaces I've been in. Right. So it's just kind of fallen and let it happen. And I kind of encourage anyone who entering the field, you know, know where you want to go, but let life happen, you know? Yeah. You know, I was the exact opposite. When I originally got into my child and youth worker program, I was convinced I was like, I'm going to do all of my work in group homes. That's where I want to work. I have no idea where I got that, um, where I got that notion, But I was convinced I was like group homes, that's where it's at. That's where I'm going to work. And, you know, I've never worked at a group home. Uh, I've done all kinds of other things. I have experienced in all kinds of other uh, workplaces now, but never in a group home. So taking advantage of just whatever opportunities come your way, I love what I do now. And if I had just stuck to what I had planned in college, I never would have ended up here. Exactly. You You just have to let life happen. And you never know until you're actually working with a certain population or community, how much you love it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So do you do any of your work with social workers? Yeah. I mean, I, when I was working at the, um, at the drop-in center for youth initiative, some of my colleagues were social workers or had gone to school for social work at the group home. It was a little bit different. It was, we were all, well, we were all from different, we had all different education backgrounds, but we weren't considered social workers. However, I would work with, you know, if a kid has a CAS worker, right? Um, I would work with them in that capacity. At the shelter, I mean, yeah, like some of us are social workers, some of us are child and youth care practitioners, and it, it's a whole mishmash up. Um, So yeah, I've worked in various capacities for sure. It's really interesting working in those environments because there are people from all kinds of different backgrounds and everyone has to work together. 
do you ever find it difficult working with people from these different backgrounds? Because we're all kind of held to different standards. We all have different perspectives. What has your experience been like with that? I would say that the social workers that I've worked with as colleagues, um, it's been a little bit easier because there's this understanding of youth-centered approach or um, you know, meeting the youth where they're at. So I've been fortunate enough to work with you know, social workers that have the same type of understanding as I do with youth work. On the flip side, sometimes when we're not working from the same agency, it is sometimes challenging to be honest, right? Because they have their own policies and procedures and their own goals with the youth and their own method of working with the youth. And I have a completely different approach, right? Like I'm very youth centered and I let the youth kind of guide the work that I do. Not everyone works like that. I think they should, but you know, it, it's it's just a different approach and I have to respect other people's approaches too, but it is difficult sometimes for sure. Yeah, I've had pretty similar experiences, I think. Um, the one that does stand out the most is CAS, like Children's Aid Society, because they're all child welfare oriented and they're held to a lot of standards. I know it's very, very regulated, the work that they do. And often it is kind of contrary to what the youth wants. And that's a really difficult one to work for. Yeah, for sure. At the shelter, we have what's called like service plans, right? And that's where me as a case manager sits down with the youth and we kind of set our goals that we need to work on. Now, those goals may not be the same as another worker they have, right? So it sometimes is conflicting, you know? If a young person says, I want to do an employment program and get my GED, I'm going to believe that they want to do that and advocate for them to do that. The other worker may think they don't have the capacity. My approach is let's give it a shot. If they don't, we'll figure it out after, right? But there's worth in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering about those service plans too. I'd imagine they're quite holistic. You work on a lot of different areas of the youth's life. Would that be correct? Yes, yes. So, you know, we're a housing first approach. So, you know, housing is the number one priority because everyone has the right to housing. But within that realm, you know, there's also certain things you need to do to get ready for housing, right? And there's other goals you need to do to get ready for independent living. So, for example, you need to find a job, you know, and the reality is it's very, very difficult to find housing without a part-time job. You know, you, you need to be able to present an employment letter to a landlord, right? If you're just on Ontario Works, for example, it's going to be very difficult. It's possible, but it's very difficult to find housing. And then, you know, just to backtrack that, if you don't have a high school education, it's very difficult to get a part-time job, even at like McDonald's or Tim Hortons, right? So there's certain things that, you know, it all leads up to housing, but there's certain stuff that you need to do, right? Um, and even like community mapping, do you have a family doctor and a dentist? Because eventually when you move out, like you're not gonna have these 24 hour supports. So you need to start creating your own circle of care. In that setting, do you see a lot of youth who have mental health issues as well? Oh yeah, yes, for sure. Either diagnosed or undiagnosed. The right now, the majority of the populations that I see are, you know, newcomer youth. I see a lot of youth from the child welfare system, and we know that that's a pathway to youth homelessness. And I would say an overrepresentation of Black youth for sure. And 
with all those different communities comes different types of trauma and different types of mental health. And like I said, sometimes they're diagnosed and have some supports in place and other times they're not. And it's difficult work sometimes. I mean, you know, it, getting a youth to a place where they are open to getting diagnosed or open to counseling or seeing a psychiatrist is months. It's sometimes a, a year's worth of work to, to even get them to that place, right? And sometimes they could take it back in one day, right? Or, you know, one thing sets them off and they'll say, I don't want that work, right? Even though we know that they need that work. So yeah, pros and cons. <laughs> mm -hmm. What you said about the trauma too, I think that's really like on the forefront of youth who experience homelessness because it is trauma. People don't just, you know, end up homeless or I'm sure, you know, for maybe a few people that happens, but for the vast, vast majority, they didn't just become homeless because they felt like living on the street that day. They became homeless because they had some sort of trauma, some sort of issue in their life that led them to be there. And often that's untreated. We don't acknowledge those causes of homelessness. Yeah, for sure. And we know that one of the, the major pathways to youth homelessness is some sort of family breakdown, right? And there, more or less, there's some sort of trauma attached to that, right? It, so yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult work sometimes. Um, sometimes I just need to come home and sleep. <laughs> Self-care is very important with doing that type of work. And then on top of the, on top of the mental health, there's sometimes like, you know, substance use issues, right? Which is a whole other layer and unpacking all of that. Now, when you're working in a harm reduction approach, sometimes that that is difficult, right? Because you have a youth in one space who let's say is an alcoholic and find the harm reduction or respecting the space they're in, but they're also setting off 20 other youth in the space who may get triggered because maybe a care person was an alcoholic and abused them, right? So it's a lot of things that we need to juggle. Yeah, absolutely. Those kinds of group environments are really tough because it's not like you can just support all of the individual needs of one youth. You have to balance it with all the needs of everybody else around them. How many youth are even in the shelter you work in? Uh, I cannot remember uh, because the numbers have changed slightly with COVID. I, I want to say 50, but I could be wrong, <laughs> but it, it is a lot. And how do you balance the needs of all of those youth when they have so many different traumas and so many different mental health issues and so many different substance use issues? Yeah, it's, it is a lot. I will say, you know, working at a group home taught me that, you know, it, it was a smaller scale, but, you know, sometimes you're dealing with, you know, a youth who has FASD and another one who is self-harming and another one who is blasting another youth and it, you know, and because of the small setting, I was able to learn how to kind of prioritize and manage um, and kind of like delegate to uh, my shift partner. So I was very fortunate to have that group home experience because I've been able to kind of implement some of that work at the shelter. It's a little bit different because we have like case managers, which is myself and then frontline staff. So it's a little bit easier uh, in that respect. But yeah, it, it is difficult, you know, and sometimes I just have a youth come into my office and 
shit hits the fan, right? And just got to roll with the punches. <laughs> Have you found that you bring a lot of your own life experience and your own personality to working with these youth? Yeah, in some respects. I, I think that, I think anyone working with people brings in their personality and their own life experiences. For me, you know, growing up, youth voice was, you know, I didn't have a lot of decision-making power uh, in the education system. So that's always been a center of my work because I know what it's felt like to kind of lose that voice. So I'm always bringing that in. Yeah, like for sure. I bring in my experience. At the same time, though, I'm also cognizant of boundaries. I believe that the, the greatest work you can do is in the gray zone of boundaries, but it is a fine line and it, it's kind of a dance that you have to play. I tell a lot of students that we take on, you know, as placement students that you can tell your personal story, but you only say it when you know it's going to benefit the youth and not yourself because the youth is not your counselor and they're not your friend. Um, so you could only use that experience, your personal experience, if you know it's going to help the youth in some respects. Yeah, that's the really tricky part of doing any sort of self-disclosure is sometimes you feel like by disclosing this bit about myself, maybe I'll relate to them a little bit better. But you have to remember, am I trying to relate them to them a little bit better for my benefit or for their benefit? How is my story actually going to help this person or this young person in their struggle right now? Yeah, and it, it, like, it depends on the setting. When I was at the, the group home, I talked a little bit more about my personal life with the, the youth there, right? Because relationship building was a little bit different, right? They're seeing me a lot more often. We're doing a lot more one-to-one work. The shelter, it's a different type of capacity, right? So a lot of the youth there don't know about my personal life, right? They know some stuff, but it's just a different type of relationship building, right? It's not as one-to-one as working at a group home. So it also depends too, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting when the youth try to press for information about that too, because sometimes they like to make assumptions. Like whenever they see my wedding ring, they want to ask me questions about that. Just things about, you know, if I'm wearing my hair or my makeup in a certain way, or like I'm super heavily tattooed. Some of them will ask about my tattoos and they really want to know sometimes. And it's hard to balance. Like, should I answer that question right now? Is this a relevant thing for that youth? I don't know. Yeah, it it definitely is a balance. Sometimes you do need to disclose some stuff for relationship building, you know, like the tattoo is a great example that were me and I had tattoos. I probably would disclose some of that stuff because unless it's something deeply personal, I'm going to say it and I'll probably strike up a conversation and bet you they have a tattoo too. And there you go. But it's ironic though that, you know, we talked, we're talking about this now because I had a youth come up to me a couple of days ago you know, when I told them that my sister gave birth and they're like, oh, I didn't know she was pregnant. And they're like, we don't know much about you, do we? And I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> it's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're kind of coming to the end, if you had to sum up what you would want people to know about being a child and youth care practitioner in just a couple of sentences, what would you want them to know? It's about letting youth guide your work. 
always meeting youth where they're at, although it's difficult sometimes and we may perceive certain challenges, we've got to respect that space. And as corny as, as, as this is going to sound, it, you know, kind of work with your heart. If we work with youth with, you know, very strict boundaries, chances are you're not going to get any work done. For me, I find it very different than working with adults. Sometimes you see us as a parent figure, right? Depending on the setting. And we got to treat that as it is. Of course, with some sort of boundaries in place, but work with your heart. Well, thank you for sharing all of that today. Yeah, just thank you. I feel like a really great conversation. It was. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate that Salvatore took the time today to share his perspectives. If you want to hear more from Salvatore, he actually has his own podcast. The CYC podcast, Discussions of Child and Youth Care, also features guest speakers and facilitates conversations with young people, parents, and professionals about the youth social service system. I'm featured on episode 68, but I would encourage you to listen to lots of episodes because they're all really interesting and informative. You can find CYC podcast on Podbean. In our next episode, we'll talk to Sandra, who does volunteer work. Thanks for listening to The Social Work Social. By sharing information and stories, we hope that you will gain new knowledge and empathy for those who are different from you. All of us have unique backgrounds and experiences, but through our stories, we can learn to relate to one another. Our communities are currently facing extreme challenges, and we all have different strengths and skills that we bring to the table to help combat those challenges. Through working together, we can make a difference. I challenge you to go outside of your comfort zone to find an issue that you can lend your support. Tune in next Friday for another episode of The Social Work Social. Mm-hmm.